I am in the process of adulting my office. I have been a youth minister for, uh, well, all the way back, uh, 15, 16 years. And so in the process of that, a youth minister's office looks a certain type of way. There's, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of randomness. There's a lot of stuff in there. And in the past 15 years, uh, since I've been at Northside, that office has accumulated a lot of things. So as part of adulting the office, uh, the sister here is helping me get it all put together, uh, asked me to clear it out. And so I went through the process this afternoon of clearing out. And I, I just was, it was hard to do because, well, I mean, every, every item that you would go into my office and say, well, that looks kind of junky, um, was a memory. And so this here is, a, is a, a picture from the Patriot, which is a roller coaster at Worlds of Fun. And there's me and Paul Harrington. And uh, I just want to say I look really good and scared on this picture. But that was one of uh, our very early trips in the youth group. Paul and I are both... Uh, without kids, uh, we didn't didn't have kids. We were young and, and carefree and, and wrinkle-free uh, at that point in our lives. Uh, this pair of, of crazy-looking dice here hung on my wall for a long time. And uh, this was from some kids who decorated the van that way for our mission trip uh, to South Dakota, which was the very first mission trip we took. Uh, this was a sign. This is probably the earliest piece of memorabilia uh, that began what we now know as work camp. And this was our from our very first trip. Those students and adults signed one of the uh, yard signs. And uh, I had that in there. And that's kind of where it all began. Um, uh, Mike will tell you, and I can testify, that our youth group loves Ultimate Frisbee. Uh, that started because on one trip, uh, a different mission trip to Burlington, Iowa, uh, we stopped at a gas station or a truck stop somewhere, and they had these giant novelty Frisbees. So a couple of kids thought that would be cool to pick those up, and uh, they were just playing with them the whole trip. And that grew into our youth group being uh, absolutely fanatical about Ultimate Frisbee, uh, just playing that all the time. So those things that you would see in my office that might not have meaning to you had a lot of meaning to me because they reminded me of stories of where we had been, and lessons we had learned along the way. And that same is true if I went over to your house. Uh, there would be trinkets and memorabilia and souvenirs, things that were physical reminders of powerful memories. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And some nights we are on a series called Training the Twelve. We are looking at Jesus' final lessons to his apostles. We talked last week, it was probably about five hours or so, not much more than that. And we're studying it from the apostle John. And John takes a fourth of his book to focus on the last five hours of Jesus' time with the apostles. So I think that is very important. I think that tells us something about what John was trying to convey about these beautiful, final, intimate moments with his 12 closest friends in the world. 
And so in these final five hours, Jesus is going to give us some pictures, um, some things. Last week we talked about uh, this idea that uh, of the first lesson that we all need to be cleansed. We all need to be washed by Jesus. That the washing of the feet is more than just, why did John put that in there? Was it so, you know, Christians would all be good servants and do service projects? Well, that, those are good things. But Jesus was reminding us about the message of the gospel. So we said, all of us need to be washed, even if we're reluctant like Peter. It reminds us of the disciples' call, <clears throat> that our lives should overflow with the grace and the beautiful washing that comes through Jesus. We should be willing to share that with anyone. And then we said it, we're to be about this daily, that we need to repeat. Uh, three simple points was lather, rinse, and repeat. And so the lesson of the towel is to be cleansed, that we all need uh, the, the cleansing power of Jesus. That's part of why we are who we are. But it needs to not just be a lesson that we learn then. It needs to be something that we actively apply today. Today, we are in lesson number two. We're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. You want to turn there in your Bibles or on your iDevice, uh, go ahead and do so now. This is where we're going to be. This is the, the text section. But what we're talking about tonight is in the idea of love. And Jesus pictures love. In sort of an unusual way, hopefully we'll unlock this a little bit tonight, but he pictures, he pictures uh, this with a simple object, bread. Is in this Passover meal, uh, of course the loaf wouldn't have looked something like this, it's for illustrative purposes, but uh, it would have, it would have conveyed something that Jesus was sharing a meal. It was something, the Passover meal was a whole process, and there was a whole message that went behind it. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But if we could think just for a minute about how God will use the bread to convey his love for us, I guess the simplest way to think about it is we all need it. And Jesus would say, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And just as we all, I don't care who you are, in stature, significance, or wealth, or intelligence, uh, every day you need sustenance. In the same way that you need daily sustenance, uh, you need love. Love is, uh, well, bread for the soul. It's what human beings all need. Uh, from the moment that we enter this world till the time we leave. And in my opinion, it's the thing which we seek after most deeply. Uh, you see people doing crazy things in their life. Usually it's because they're malnourished. And so we're going to focus tonight on this idea of bread. Now, I, I, to do this, uh, I would love to, to partake in a, a Passover meal. That, that's really not logistically possible here. But we're going to do part of it. And so I've asked some gentlemen if they would come forward now. And uh, I want, they're going to help, help me pass around some bread. Thank you. Thank 
you. Now, this is not communion, although it looks very similar to communion. Here, I got two more bowls, guys. There we go. So everybody take one. Okay, this is not. Uh, this will remind you of communion because we partake of unleavened bread uh, during that memorial feast. But um, we're not partaking of communion at this point during our worship. So feel free to take one, and there should be enough where everybody can take a large piece. No need to break off a little chiclet-sized thing. You can have a whole piece. Okay, nowhere near the meal, but keep your Bible open, and as we. Um, Hopefully, as you get your bread, you're reading along in John chapter 13. Let's read the text together. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, You may believe that I am he. Or in verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will Betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter, because Simon Peter's always talking, he motions to this guy, which is John, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord Who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I give this, whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, what are you going what are you are going to do? <sighs> do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because G- Judas had the money back. I'll stop right here. Is there anyone that didn't receive a, a piece of bread? If you haven't yet, hold your hand up and our gentleman will get them to you. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. 
You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, as you sit there, bread in hand, you partake in some of what they would have partaken that night. In the story, we're told some things, and we're going to study those out for the remainder of our time together. The first is the truth. The truth is, we all need perfect love. Now, of course, we all need love. But it's my contention that what we call love and what God calls love are worlds apart. And we had that love only one other time in in the garden. And uh, everything was good and perfect. And the scripture tells us that God walked with man In the cool of the day. Perfect love. Perfect relationship. No distraction. No sin to get in the way. Uh, Everything in that relationship was whole. And then we messed it up. And when we separated from him, we created within ourselves a constant, unfillable void. John, the apostle, would later write this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He would write, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so off we went, leaving the garden and trying to fill our lives with everything we could to fill that void. If you have the bread, some of you have eaten it. I'm guessing it wasn't too filling. I'm guessing uh, much in our world today, as you see people tearing over one another for uh, vegetable steamers and crazy items for Black Friday, and you look at that and you say, how in the world can they do such a thing? Or you hear... People doing horrific things to one another. You, you ask yourself, where can all of this come from? And at its core is the emptiness that we cannot fill. Love was the entire cornerstone of the law. 611 commands by some count. But the scripture was broken down. All of that boiled down to what Jesus said. In Mark chapter 12, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The apostles, in our journey we've covered in 2015, strived, in my opinion, to love them, to love Jesus the best that they knew how. Was it anywhere close to how Jesus loved them? No. Just like our love is imperfect for one another. Think about this. Uh, You probably have certain people that you're closer to that you love more than others. I can share my personal one. It's my wife and my children. I love them both deeply. And yet, I fail often to love them perfectly. As much and as sincere as I am, my love is still broken. And so this meal, as John will say, as we looked at last week, the NIV says in John chapter 13, verse 1, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some translations say he loved them to the end. He was going to show them how, how much he loved them by his sacrifice. The problem is this. As we've already said, we all love imperfectly. We all mess it up. And in this section of Scripture, we see, of course, most prevalent two apostles. Judas, who is well known for not having fell fall, fall way short of the mark, and not ever, in, in some arguably, did he ever love Jesus. To Peter, who, who's, who I believe sincerely loved Jesus, but gave us all an example to relate to. All the other ten, we all have the same core problem. And that is this, our broken relationship with God makes us incapable of genuine love. Remember when Jesus said, he said, if you, though you are evil, give good gifts to your children. That's an indictment there on the human character. He's saying, even when you strive to love and to show love to those who you think you love, you're still evil at your core. You're still broken at your heart. Romans 3.23 would say, For all have sinned and fall short. Another way of saying this is all of us, however good we might think we are, are spiritually dysfunctional. Try to think of someone who loves you perfectly. Try to think of someone who you have loved perfectly. You can. I love this quote from the late theologian Steve Irwin. You might know him as the crocodile hunter. He said it this way, and you can't read this quote without getting an accent, so I apologize. Crocodiles are easy. They try to kill and eat you. People are harder. Sometimes they pretend to be your friend first. 
You understand? That that, that message of, of every time I mess it up, every time you mess it up, even your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people who you, I think, plan to spend eternity with, at some point will be like Judas and betray you, or be like Peter and mess it up despite their good intentions, or be like the other ten who sit around with nothing to say. The problem is we are broken, and the good news is that Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. When, when he came into the world, before he came into the world, the angel said to Mary, you'll name him Emmanuel, which means what? This is a Sunday night crowd, so I need your help. God with us, right? And, and then we could break that down all night, but the point was, God was saying, I get you. I've been trying to pursue you for all of these several centuries, and now I'm coming to be with you. And not just be with you physically, but I want you to know that I'm with you. This is the beautiful part of what Jesus is doing when he's partaking with a meal with his betrayer. Now, in the first, uh, in the first, let's see here, verses 18 through 30, John focuses on this hardcore betrayal of Judas and how Jesus treated him. He says, I am not, verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, this was not a surprise to Jesus. I mean, he knew this was coming. Scripture predicted it. Scripture told long ago, long before Judas was a thought in his parents' eye, that betrayal was coming. John presents us a picture of Judas that really makes us sad. He had false concern for the poor. He was greedy. And perhaps he was a thief. And certainly he... He betrayed the Son of God. But the betrayal's meal, betrayer's meal, fulfilled prophecy and remind us of an eternal of a greater eternal truth, and that is this that all of us have been Judas at one time. Jesus, Jesus knew this betrayal would come from the beginning when Eve partook of the fruit. And passed it to her husband, Adam. When there is that strange section in Genesis chapter 3 where we're told that the serpent will be crushed, but the heel will be wounded. We're reminded that, that there's a struggle going on. John says in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, he says <clears throat> something interesting. He says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need a man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now here is Jesus with his somehow being able to know the hearts of men. And 
Even knowing Judas's heart, he sits down to have a meal with him. How do you react when you find out someone betrays you? When you hear someone's been saying something unkind or, or you know that you, you catch them doing something uh, untoward. Um, how do you react? The natural reaction is to you know, place distance, right? Jesus pulls up a, a, a chair and seats him relatively close because he has to be able to pass this morsel of bread to him. It reminds us of the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23. What does he say there? He says of God, in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus knew this was coming. The scriptures foretold it. God knew that from that moment in the garden that it was coming. He shared the bread with Judas first, but eventually we all partake. We can pick on Judas, but don't you know that as those apostles shared that bread that night, perhaps the message was a little less direct toward them. It would be less than a day later that none of those around that table would identify with the Christ. Sometimes we betray indirectly like Peter. Peter, good heart, I'll lay down my life. Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, we won't even get to mourning before you'll deny me. Sometimes we sin like Judas where we do the things we shouldn't do. The sin of commission, the sin of rebellion. Sometimes we betray like Peter where we just have the sin of omission. Refusing to say what we ought to say. Being silent when we should speak up. But regardless of how we betray, this meal, this bread, there's deeper meaning here than sustenance. Remember what the bread of the Passover stood for. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, the Lord says, <clears throat> Do not eat Passover with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. The uh, bread I passed around that you had partook of uh, went to Dylan's about that in the kosher section called uh, matzo bread. It's partaken of. It's, uh, it's unleavened bread. And they said that the marks on there are to remind the, the people of Israel of the lashes they received while in slavery in Egypt. It was a bread to be partaken of, not as an enjoyable, but, but as a reminder of the harshness out of which God had delivered them. And here, as Jesus transforms this meal and the meaning of this meal, he's saying, I know, I understand. And even though you're all going to eat of this bread, I have a plan. And the plan is, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to make a sacrifice. Now, there's two levels of looking at the sacrifice. Of course, we know that Jesus will make his personal sacrifice, the sacrifice once for all, the second Adam, uh, the, the, the man through whom not death comes like the first Adam, but the, the man through whom life comes, 
He says, where I am going, you cannot come. That's always had been a plan. The cross was not an afterthought. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't something that surprised Jesus, though it certainly surprised his apostles. This was, as one commentator said, this was the pinnacle of glory. I, and, and, I mean, I, I know what season we're in, but it wasn't the manger that was the beautiful part of Christ. It wasn't the miracles that, that caused Christ to change lives. It wasn't even his ministry. It was Golgotha, the place of the skull. The glory of Christ came at the cross. Go back to the text. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of, glorif- Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So I now say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I hear well-meaning people sometimes say, oh, if only it had been me. Oh, I only deserved the death of the cross. That's true, you deserved it, but I thank God it wasn't you. Because you couldn't pay the price for your own sin. Not even yours, because yours would have been an imperfect sacrifice. Now think about this. If you're a wanderer, if you're exploring, if you're wondering about Christianity... I want you to think about this. Compare Christianity with every other religion. Every other religion requires worshipers make the sacrifice first. Only in Christianity does God make the first move. God makes the first move and asks us to respond. The second is... The second sacrifice is what Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the living sacrifices. He says to Peter, you will follow later. And I think he's probably pointing to the fact he's saying, you guys are all going to be martyrs eventually. But in a deeper way, he's saying, you're going to be called to lay down your life. What, what does the brother of James say in chapter 4, verse 10? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Paul would later say, I'll read the full verse now, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, you're not doing that because it's going to earn you any points with God. You're doing that as a response to the sacrifice he's made for you. John, or Jesus would later say in, in uh, probably Gethsemane, greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. So the challenge is then for us this. Simple seven words. Love one another as Jesus loved us. And the key word in, that, in those seven words, love one another as Jesus loved us, is the word as. How did Jesus love his apostles? He, he walked with them. He was patient with them. 
He led them. Ultimately, he laid down himself for them. Did they deserve it? Uh, No. You need only to read this text we looked at tonight. Did they earn it? Heavens, no. Did they even understand it? Jesus loved them to the end. And there are two responses to that love. We, We see them right here. Peter became fearful when he left Jesus. Think about this. He's, he's drawn out swords. I'll lay down my life for you. He, he runs after Malchus and makes him a one-eared man. And all of a sudden, when, after he's arrested, he is shaking in his sandals in front of who? A servant girl. He can't even name the name of Christ. Peter loved a victorious Messiah. Not a suffering, crucified one. The second response is that Judas fled. He left Jesus for other pursuits. He, he said, it, I'm ultimately going to not choose to respond to the love. So what is our response? Well, we're called to love as Jesus loved us at the cost of our lives. 1 John chapter 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. And if you think about it, another here illustration goes along with the season. Jesus loved us even when we've been at the top of the naughty list. He still loves us. This is why Jesus is better than Santa. Okay. Well, that didn't go over like I thought it would. What is our response? Love at the cost of your life. I thank God that Jesus doesn't hold us accountable. I know some people are big on accountability, but that, that's not what turns people. That not, that's not what causes them to, to lay down their life. Jesus doesn't hold us accountable. He holds us close. And that's what causes people, men, to lay down their lives when he realizes that they're loved. Remember in John chapter 21, at the end of John's book, how would he restore Peter? Three times he'll ask him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus needs to love people well. And he needs us to do that as his disciples. He commanded it. He gave us the example He said it's the defining mark of a disciple. It's not the name of the building. It's not the good things you do. It's not the t-shirt you wear. It's not the radio station you listen to. It's love. It all comes down to that. It's the best practice for how we evangelize, for how we fellowship, for how we worship, for how we disciple. It's the best and only way to make disciples. So our challenge then is tonight. Lay down your life. And you've got somebody that you got something against. And every time you see him, you grumble and you, you wish curses on them and you wish bad things on them. And you know what God calls you to do? Love them. Give them undeserved grace. And uh, lay down your pride. 
apologize. Apologize? I did nothing wrong. I'll wait right here and wait for them to apologize. Now, that's not love. Mend the relationship. Make the call. Send the email. Forgive. Ah, maybe take a lesson from John 13. Invite them into your home for dinner. Love wins over betrayal. I love this quote, and I'll finish with this. If you love deeply, if you love truly, you're going to get hurt. Hurt badly. But love anyway, it's still worth it. This is the lesson, the second lesson of the meal. Even with your betrayers, give them what they need most. Give them the bread, the love that we always that we all need, that we've always needed. If you have need tonight, we want to let you know the Savior. We want to know you to know that He loves you, that He's waiting for you. He's prepared a table, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything He's done. If there is a need tonight, I'll meet you down front. We'll be glad to help you in any way that we can. Together we come.